So many of us want to support inclusion in our organizations. Like so many things, though, it starts with us. On this episode, the first steps you can take to move towards more intentionality in inclusive leadership. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 584. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. I know so many of us in this community, our listeners, our members, myself, of course, have a commitment to really supporting inclusive cultures inside our organizations. And uh, in spite of that commitment, sometimes we do, all of us, fall short on taking practical actions that can actually help us to really move the needle and to create the kind of inclusive workplaces that so many of us long for and desire and want to continue to support. I'm so glad today to welcome a guest that has such an expertise here is going to help us to really look at some of the key actions that we can take to support inclusive leadership and inclusion inside our organizations. I'm so glad to welcome Susan McEntee-Brady. She is the Deloitte Ellen Gabriel Chair for Women and Leadership at Simmons University and the first Chief Executive Officer of the Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership. The Institute develops the mindset and skills of leaders at all stages of life so they can foster gender parity and cultures of inclusion. As a relationship expert, leadership well-being coach, author, and speaker, Susan educates leaders and executives globally on fostering self-awareness for optimal leadership. She advises executive teams on how to work together effectively and create inclusion and gender parity in organizations. She is the co-author, along with Janet Fauti and Lynn Perry Wooten, of the Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Arrive and Thrive, Seven Impactful Practices for Women Navigating Leadership. Susan, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be with you today. Well, thank you so much for your work. And uh, before we hit record, you were uh, sharing with me a bit of your own journey in uh, coming to do the work at Simmons. And you mentioned to me that there was a missing puzzle piece when you showed up to begin doing this work. And you said there's a story behind it, but you didn't tell me the story. (laughs) So I'm wondering wondering what that missing piece is and how it leads into the work that you've been doing with inclusion. So thank you for raising it again. It, it, it brought it did bring me back uh, because I've been thinking about you know leadership and what it means to be inclusive for a really long time. Um, the big aha when I came to Simmons was when I was sitting in one of our corporate education experiences for male allies with a uh, it was actually it was a it was a custom group for a biopharma here in the Boston area. And I was introduced to the concept of upstanding. And this is the act of the moment to moment noticing what's going on when something might not be right, and then speaking of it in a way that's respectful. So when, you know, Joe is speaking over Sally and you notice it at a meeting, instead of ignoring it and or leaving the meeting and not addressing it, 
I, I, I would want people to do this respectfully, saying either in the meeting, like, hey, Joe, I don't know if Sally, were you done? Right. So that's upstanding. Or after the meeting, hey, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but because I think I've done it too. Like, oh, gosh, I think you stepped over Sally a couple of times. You might want to just pay attention to that. So that's upstanding. That's in the little moments, Dave. And the big puzzle piece was we were asking really well-intended leaders to deep dive into understanding their unconscious biases and then become an agent for change. And really well-intended leaders were doing just that. The problem is that they weren't working the work in a moment-to-moment way as they led through their day and their meetings and their conversations. Hmm. And that strikes me as something that I know I have struggled with a lot as my eyes have been open to so many of the one so much of the wonderful work that you and others have been doing in recent years because it it's really easy for us to become more aware, to read, to think of ourselves as allies and upstanders and yet in the moment to miss the opportunity, either because we don't see it or because we see it and we don't necessarily change our behavior in any way. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually think, you know, I love Amy Edmondson's work. I know she's been a guest uh, on psychological safety. I think the yeah. underpinnings of, of psychological safety, though, and the underpinnings, of course, of inclusion and, ha- and having an inclusive workforce is when a leader can say, hey, I'm growing and learning because there's just too much that I can't possibly know. And so I need to make myself available and a model and check in about how I'm doing. I do that a lot. How did I land? How, how did that go? What did I, I don't know if I read your body language, right? But I, did I make you uncomfortable just now? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's those kinds of check-ins, not to put people on the spot, but to be a learner and then use yourself as a fellow traveler. Because look, Think about all the songs, all the movies. I had a mentor of mine use this example, and I thought it was brilliant. Think about all the songs, all the movies, all the books, all the places you have not gone in your life that you don't know about. Yeah. All the people you haven't met. You know, there's so much missing information. So how can we confront an opportunity, a person, a situation, a conversation, and really understand and assume that we have the right the right view of it, right, without checking in. A lot of the action of inclusion day to day is leading with our curiosity and thinking, gosh, how, how am I showing, how am I showing up? And did I get this right? And if I saw that, I need to say something about that to model what's okay and what's not okay. It, it is interesting how, I mean, I, I'm not sure how true this is for others, but I often think of curiosity quick wins, coaching in the moment, like so many of the things that we talk about so regularly on the show. I think that in the context of just great things to be doing as a leader in general. And yet, for whatever reason, in my own brain, sometimes there's a disconnect between that and when I start thinking about inclusion. Like all of a sudden, inclusion is like, ooh, it's a little bit of a scarier place for some of us who haven't done as good a job and being consistent at that. And one of the invitations I'm hearing from you already here is um, let's let's the good practices that we think about in lots of other things on like developing skills and being curious and leaning into a little bit of discomfort and tough situations like let's do the same thing here and and have those be small steps versus of kind of like making it such a big thing in our minds that we don't end up then taking any practical action. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to take some of the fear out of this whole conversation because I think we've stymied leaders. Let me give you an example. You know, we are in a litigious, understandably litigious conundrum at work around, you know, long-held strategies to mitigate sexual harassment. And yet, uh, so so to be a man at work, you know, means I have to be conscious and, and careful that I don't take for granted my comfort level with a colleague who identifies as a woman in, in a way that could be inappropriate. And yet at the same time, Dave, we're asking men and other leaders to, you know, essentially like take the highest potential woman, you know, aside and ask if you can mentor and sponsor them. And so this is, this is about boundaries. This is, this is boundary work. It's, it's, it's worthiness work. It's vulnerable and it's wrought with subjectivity, (laughs) which, which, as you know, you know, leadership, I keep reminding everybody, leadership is a relationship. It's a social construct. Therefore it's subjective. Therefore it is full of perception and, you know, perception is the co-pilot to reality, but it's why we leaders need to look within. And I have to be honest, I, I long for the day where inclusive leadership and leadership are is actually an oxymoron. Like, I do believe that good leadership is inclusive leadership. It's just what it is. Indeed. Yeah. And to like our earlier point, the kinds of things and the skills you would practice as an inclusive leader, curiosity, leaning in, regular interactions, relationship building, those are the kinds of things that serve us well in every aspect of leadership, not just looking through the lens of inclusion. One of the reasons I really loved this model in the book was I think that there's the, I mean, one of the challenges I think a lot of us have is like, we think like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm somewhere on this journey of inclusion. Maybe I know where I am. Maybe I, I don't, which we'll probably get to here in a moment. And, uh, and, but where do I start? Like, what's a beginning place that I can take a small action, a small step that actually starts to become a, a part of my behavior? And no surprise <laughs> from anyone who's listened to the show for any length of time, it starts with us, right? And the invitation is to begin and look at some of the and understand some of our own biases that are there. And I was it was interesting to read about implicit association tests in the book. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about these, and I've heard a little bit about these. I haven't taken one, but I'm wondering if you could tell us what what are they? How do they help? Yeah, so I'm so glad you asked. And and you're right. I mean, look, here's the good news for our listeners. You know, the low risk, easy way to start is within your own mind and heart. You don't have, you know, I'm not asking you to go out and have difficult conversations out the gate, right? There's a little bit of introspection that's required. And Project Implicit is a free series of tests and the tests range. But I want to share with you a test that I took that brings home the point that we, that looking within at our own deeply held beliefs and our biases that we may never have consciously learned how that matters and can influence how we behave. Mm. There is a test in Project Implicit, just one of them, that is about associating men and family and women and work, or women with family and men with work. And I, Dave, was raised by a single father. My parents were divorced when I was two. And my mother and stepfather and I have been very close over the course of my life. And my primary parent was my father. He was not a tycoon in business. He uh, did, you know, he, he, he was self-employed and, and was a bookkeeper, but, you know, kind of majored in family and minored in work, I would say. Mm. And I thought 
I would be the kind of woman that would have, have been, having been raised by a single father who told me to go, you know, go out and get them, girl, you know, that I would have a slight bias for, you know, an appreciation for men and family and women with work. I took the test. It's a sort of an A-B test. It's, it's frustrating, right? Because you have to choose between two variables that you don't want to choose from. Sure. But uh, I took the test and it came out that I had a moderate bias towards women and family and men at work. And that really threw me because it showed me just how deep, even though I was raised primarily by a man, by a father, in, in an era where very few children were raised by their fathers, right? He got all sorts of extra credit for being like the single dad, the cool, the great involved single dad. Yeah. When there is, you know, 10x great involved single moms. But I thought I would have a positive bias about that. And it turns out, you know, the societal pressures, the community pressures, the the images, the the implicit messages I got throughout the course of my life gave me the message that my waking up a woman meant something for me that's different than it did for my brother, that associated my need to be with family more. And we don't have to get into, you know, is that something that's learned or innate, but be that as it may, it was eye-opening for me. And these are the kinds of internal discoveries I think that are important for leaders to journey in. I'll give you another example. Recently, I took a flight and it was one of the scariest flights of my life. It was one of the things where you actually are, the the turbulence is so bad that you're lifted off your seat kind of thing. Mm. And it was the first time I heard the pilot's voice. It was not soon after takeoff and it was unexpected. And um, there was no forewarning. And the pilot's voice was a a female voice. It was a woman. And um, I had that flash of, oh my gosh, but you know, I really wish that that 55 to 60 year old, you know, white male with white hair was flying the plane. I had that thought and I've been in women's leadership and teach inclusion, but I caught the thought. I caught it in my, in my mind's eye and thought, oh my gosh, I just had that thought. My association with safety in the air has been so deeply imprinted on me. Right. Mm. And, and so that was a moment where I have now new data to replace my existing, my, my bias that I didn't even know I had. You huh. know? It, it's so it's fascinating, and thank you so much for sharing that. And it reminded me of something that happened to me just in the last week or two. I oh, tell me. I was Apple TV Plus started doing this Friday night baseball thing, and I almost never watch sports. And I and and on the occasion I do, I almost never watch live sports. And but our kids and I go to the Angels game once in a while here in Orange County, and so we watched the live broadcast the other night of the Angels game, and. It struck me as weird, like the broadcast landed weird with me, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I listened to someone else talk about it in another medium afterwards on a podcast, and they made the point that Apple, as Apple does on many things, was very forward about in having both women and men who were commenting on the game and doing the play-by-play. And I thought to myself, that was it. I had never heard a game broadcast of baseball where a woman was doing the play-by-play. And 
And it wasn't like it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a good thing. It was just so different than what I was used to. And when you said that about the women woman's voice as the captain, a lot of us grew up with these mental models of just like, okay, here's how things are. Here's what we are comfortable with or we're used to, even if not comfortable with. And then all of a sudden something changes and it's and I couldn't I couldn't even land what it was until I heard that afterwards. I was like, that was it. That's what seemed weird about it to me. Mm. So, you know, it reminds me in the workplace, Dave, what I try to remind leaders who are in positions of power is that, you know, the the more powerful you are, the more positional power you have in, a, in, in an organizational setting context, the harder people laugh at your jokes and the less people tell you the truth. And so mm, it's incumbent so upon us that kind of story. I mean, I was just thinking like, am I going to have a vulnerability quake after this podcast that I admitted that? Because it's in, <laughs> there's a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of shame oh, yeah. every time I confront, frankly, a stereotype or a bias that's in my that's in me because I, I feel like I've done a lot of my work. And I feel like because I am in a leadership position, it really matters that I check in. And it's, you know, I, I semi-joke, although it's not a joke, that I wake up every day to narrow the gap at home and at work between my intention and my impact. That is a lot of what inclusion is, is what don't I know? What can't I see? And then it's not just my impact on others. It's what's your experience? How are you doing? What is enabling about this culture for you to thrive? And what's blocking your ability to thrive. But that's all in sort of the, so we have three levels, as you know, in our model. This is the, we're all talking about becoming aware. So yeah. becoming aware has the two parts. It's understanding bias, understanding our biases, understanding bias as a concept, the difference between bias and stereotypes, and also understanding equity, valuing equity. What does that mean? If you don't see inequity, it's really hard to value and then make change for it, right? So this is all in the becoming aware part by the time we're moving to becoming an ally and upstander, we got to be having conversations, right? We, I mean, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And that's why I so appreciate you sharing your own experience with this and just some of the examples, because I haven't taken one of these, the bias tests, and I need to, and I'm so glad to know that it's free online. So I'm going to, we'll track it down and link to it in the episode because I'd like to take it and I'm sure others would as well. And I've talked to a couple people who have taken them before though, and universally, Anytime I've had a conversation with someone who's who's done an assessment like this, they have said, I was really surprised by something that consciously, maybe I thought one way, but subconsciously, there was a bias there that I didn't really think about or recognize. And I'm sure that will come up for me too when I when I take it. And I I think my my sense of this is that this isn't a do I have bias question. This is a for sure there's bias there on different things. And it's about getting clarity about what those biases are that each one of us have. Like if we understand that, then we can do something with it. Right. Okay. So let me give you a great example. So moving to the valuing equity, I have been confronted by many people who say like, I don't see color. You know, I don't care if someone's white or black or purple or, you know, it doesn't matter what gender they are. I just don't care. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Here's the dilemma that we leaders face in that is while I appreciate that it comes from a place that you might want to treat all people the same. If you don't see gender or see color, you can't see all of who people are, you know, and, and you can't acknowledge or understand all the ways that 
you know, society treats them differently because of either any level of identity, if it's not in the majority representing those people who are in power, right? And so it's an uncomfortable truth, but it is a necessity as we think about creating cultures of inclusion. We actually have to see and want to look for uniqueness and difference and be able to be a learner on the journey, understanding what it's like to be people other than me. I woke up a white girl. That's just how I came into the world. I have perspective. I have privilege, unearned. What I mean by unearned privilege, because I know these words sometimes, you know, make people want to run, but this one's important. I happen to be tall, Dave. I'm taller than your average woman. I'm 5'10 and a half. And most women who will talk about how they feel about safety with men in explaining what one area of what it is to be a woman will talk about like, oh my God, I always carry my keys between my knuckles like at night. I haven't had to do that. I, I, I have very rarely felt physically unsafe, but that's a privilege because I was born tall. I grew up to be a tall woman. Mm. Okay. And so knowing that and knowing that my girlfriends who are, who are more petite or just don't feel as safe, it doesn't mean that that's, that their, their reality is wrong or bad. It's different and understanding it helps me to support them in feeling more safe when we're together. Right. So that's kind of, that's where we move into becoming an ally and an upstander. Yeah, indeed. And you've mentioned both of those words a few times, ally and upstander. What's the distinction between those those terms? Oh, I, I, I love the question. So if I was going to define, we have, um, just to say, I, I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's a nominal price. We do have the Inclusive Leaders Playbook, and I, it's very, very, very short. My colleague, Elisa Van Dam, here at Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership, and I wrote this. It's available on Amazon, but it's very short, and it's short on purpose. It's literally meant to be a very quick playbook. And we define these terms because I think there's confusion or there's rejection before we even get to figure out what they are. And I kind of want to take a minute and give you the actual definitions that we have, because I think that's only fair for our listening audience. Please. Ally is a term often used to describe a person who supports the advancement of someone from a different social identity. For example, men as allies for women or white people as allies for black, indigenous, you know, Latinx, Asian, other people from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. So that's an ally. An upstander speaks or acts in support of someone else, especially if that person is being ignored or attacked. So there's an active, there's an activation, there's an action. Um, so I can say, you know, I'm an ally, I'm friendly. I, I joke with every event I do that's mainly women's leadership events. I just went to um, large women's leadership event. It was 3,000 people. And there were a few men in the audience. And I joke saying, you know, you know, welcome to the, welcome to the men. I, I, I come in peace. Uh, I don't live in blame or shame. I'm, I'm not out to get you. And um, that's an act of allyship. An act of upstanding would be if we were in a meeting and a woman was making a point and maybe you repeated the point and then maybe another person, however they identified, credited you verbally with the point that had been made previously by the woman. Hmm. Upstanding would be like, whoa, I think 
I actually think Sally said that like 10 minutes ago. Didn't you, Sally? Right. That's upstanding. And you can do it without diminishing or making wrong another person. But that's the distinction. The I suspect we have a lot of folks listening that feel really good about that word ally and feel like, gosh, you know, I really, my heart is there. My intentions are there. Many of my conversations have been there. And the word upstander may be a little bit more of a stretch for some of us where I I haven't necessarily changed behavior in the moment that would redirect culture within the organization. And for someone who is there and they haven't yet taken that next step, you and and Jan and Lynn are so good about in this book, like small steps, small actions, right, for all of us. What do you find is helpful for someone to start to lean in a little bit on being an upstander and starting to take an action or two? Mm. Well, I think you can, I think the best thing to do is start, is start talking one-on-one with individuals you work with who maybe have a different identity than you. And it's not interrogation time. It's, I want to understand what you see that I might not see. And how are you? And um, what's enabling you to be here and thrive? And what's blocking you? Is, are there things that leadership can do that would make it better for you? So that would be my, my sort of first pragmatic step. And then when you do take risks, and I'll tell you about one I recently took that was a total flop. Checking in with the person you take an upstander risk for would be a really good thing. So I was on a board call, the Institute board, it's a client advisory board, you know, like 40 CHROs and chief diversity officers and just amazing people. And there was a team member from the Institute who was on who I knew uh, spoke Spanish as 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 that was her first language. She's from Puerto Rico. And in an effort to make her, to bring her in, I othered her, which was, I brought, I actually called her out, which I was intending to be inclusive, but it landed for her as uncomfortable. And so, because I had said to the group, I was like, we, we got talking about English, speaking English as a second, as a second language. And um, when we don't know about this and we find out in a work setting and and I said, oh, so-and-so, do you, do you want to speak about, you know, from, you know, because you're, you know, you speak Spanish as a first language and that's, and, you know, she, she did, but I didn't, I didn't know when I came to find out that that made her really uncomfortable. Hmm. So two things came out of that for me. One is I need to create more awareness for myself so that I check in with people if I am going to do some upstanding, that I that I actually see how it lands. That's what I mean about intention impact. And that I talk openly about how I'm a learner in this. And that I want a culture of learners in this, where it's safe enough to say how to go and then receive the feedback and stay in compassionate center. How did you find out that it didn't land with her? So her manager told me, and I was mortified, of course, right? And I was like, oh my God, that wasn't my intent. And her manager said, I know, I know that wasn't your intent. And I said, can you encourage her to talk to me? Because now we've got a triangulation situation, right? Where, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, I decided to let it be and let her raise it to me. And she eventually did. And I was able to say, I'm really sorry that that had that impact. In fact, when le- the, uh, it turns out the fear that leaders have mostly, 
is messing this all up. This whole like, oh my gosh, if I, you know, advocate for somebody, I'll, you know, I might misstep or I might get in trouble or I might upset somebody. I would say, you know, take the risk in the moment to moment action of doing what you think is right and being humble enough to check in if you got it right. And, you know, surround yourself with a couple of truth tellers. If, if people are going to not tell you the truth, you got to have some, you got to have some people in your system who you trust will tell you the truth about how you come across. And thankfully I have that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, I mean, even though it was a misstep, I mean, it speaks to the relationships you've built that someone in your network was willing to say, Hey, this didn't land well. And, and to raise that to you. And I think like what a wonderful invitation this is. I mean, we think about, you know, we often talk about coaching skills on the show and, you know, that that's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing conversation. And I, I hear the same here too of there's going to be, of course, times we're all going to misstep. And so part of it is what we might say in the moment itself, working to try to be someone who's who's that upstander. But then it's also having that conversation and that curiosity afterwards and having built a relationship where when things don't land well, that someone is able to raise it with you or that you're able to raise it by being curious and that that's all part of this too. Yeah. So, so look, this is what it takes. And this is where I'm passionate in talking with leaders, however they identify, because I think we all need this. It is this skill of investing and returning to your best, most compassionate, grounded self and speaking and leading from that place. And what I mean by this is if I'm going to take a risk, an interpersonal risk in any context, I need to be able to do that from a place of I value and respect myself and believe I am enough fundamentally, I'm talking about worthiness, and that I'm, I have the confidence and I have the worthiness to say what I need to say for myself. And at the same time, I don't think I am better than, so I'm not approaching the conversation with I know better. And I can come back to this place. So I'm not, I'm not shying away because I'm scared or I'm just kind of ashamed because I don't know what I don't know. And I'm not overreaching because I think I got this, right? It's a check around essentially grandiosity and shame. It's a check about, am I in a place where I'm coming from full respect, not just for myself, that's key, also for another, so that when and if I do mess up, I can actually come back to center before I clean up. This process, we call it the best self-centering practice, is a learned process. And one, I would love every human to learn, but I'm on a warpath to teach it to every leader. And it is this consciousness, it's an awareness, it's an intention to return to a place that's no better or worse than another human being and leave your effort, your upstanding, your inquiry, your connecting from that place and then returning. So it's not, when I have a difficult conversation, this young woman who I made uncomfortable. It's not her job to now make me feel comfortable after I made her feel uncomfortable, right? That's my job. I need to shore up. I need to say, oh gosh, you know, Suze, this is a conversation I'm having with myself. This is such a bummer. You didn't mean it to come across like that. You're okay. You're learning. You're growing. 
take a breath. Now, what part of this needs to be taught so that other people feel like it's okay to mess this up, it's normal? And then most importantly, how do you need to repair? So Dave, you know this, and your listeners I'm sure know this, relationships are a constant cycle of harmony, disharmony, repair. We know harmony, that feels good. Disharmony, we just caught ourselves in an oopsie or we're fired up or we're actively in some sort of disagreement, be that avoiding it or having it. Repair is what brings us back to harmony, okay? And when we repair, we repair not just for ourselves, but we repair for the other person, of course. And so it's the quality of our repair that matters most. And I think the fear of inclusion especially my experience with men, the fear of like, you know, using myself as an instrument for walking the, the leader, the, 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 the inclusive leader walk is what do I do if I mess up, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so we never risk, we never take risks to begin with. Yeah. And I would say there's a lot more grace in all of this than we, than we think. If we can quickly repair, gosh, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that by saying that it would have that impact. Susan, we could talk for hours on this. Uh, We're just scratching the surface. There's so much more in the book, and there's a bunch of resources online. We've mentioned the implicit bias test. I'm going to track that down. We'll link to it in the notes. Uh, You also have some resources online, too, for folks who would like to get in more on this, right? Yeah. Everybody can go to inclusiveleadership.com that you can learn more about the work of our institute and uh, some of the tools we have for you to help you on the journey. And, and I would further the invitation for those of you who are looking for a voice, um, someone that maybe can be helpful to open up some of this dialogue within the organization. I mean, Susan, I know you do a ton of speaking, and that's one way that organizations can start to enter into this. So um, if that's something your organization is open to right now and thinking about, like, how do we utilize some of the stories and examples here to begin this dialogue? And what a wonderful place for people to start. So um, thank you for for the work you're doing on that. Susan McEntee Brady is the co-author of Arrive and Thrive, Seven Impactful Practices for Women Navigating Leadership. Susan, thank you so much for your work. Thank you. If you're looking for more ways to nudge yourself forward on inclusion, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 398, What Do You Gain by Sponsoring People? Julia Taylor Kennedy was my guest on that episode from Coquel. Uh, we talked about the distinction between mentoring and sponsorship. Of course, so many of us have understood and appreciated the value of mentoring in our careers, and yet we haven't often done as much work on sponsorship. And the distinction Julia makes in that conversation is mentors talk with you, sponsors talk about you. Episode 398 for some inspiration on how you may consider moving a little bit more into sponsoring the right folks in your organization. I'd also recommend episode 404, How to Build Psychological Safety with Amy Edmondson. Of course, psychological safety, hugely critical in the work that many of us want to do on inclusion. If you haven't heard that term before, or maybe if you have heard the term, but you're looking for the starting point to create a bit more safety inside the organization for people to show up 
as their whole selves. Episode 404 is a wonderful starting point. I'd also recommend a great compliment to this conversation, episode 508, How to Be More Inclusive with Stephanie Johnson. We looked at her research and her book, Inclusify, and some of the practical things you can do to move forward on inclusion. She makes the point in that conversation that's also echoed in Susan's book that we have these two basic human drives, to be unique and to belong how to balance those in episode 508 and some important starting points. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 510, how to reduce bias in feedback. Therese Houston was my guest on that episode. She's done a ton of research looking at feedback and how bias shows up for many of us. Some of the things that are well-intended, but aren't the ways actually we want to be giving feedback and are things that are often blind spots for many of us. I know looking through her research and thinking about her book, uh, The were areas that I found that I was like, wow, I hadn't ever thought about that before. And now realizing how things I've done in the past as a manager probably didn't land well. Episode 510 for some insight there. All of those conversations you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't already, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. There's a ton of benefits inside free membership. I'll tell you about two today. One of them is being able to search the entire library by episode topic. We have an entire section of the library on diversity and inclusion, a ton of conversations in addition to the ones I've just mentioned there that have been aired over the years. You can find whatever you're looking for either on that topic or anything else. Just go over to the episode library and you'll be able to find what's most important for you right now. Another resource, the second one that's inside the free membership along with many others, is my own personal library. You'll see it when you log in. It says Dave's Library. When you click on that, it's going to pull up an entire list of hashtags. I have databased every single article I've passed along in the weekly leadership guides over the years, many episodes from other podcasts, any article I ever find in the Wall Street Journal or Harvard Business Review or the New York Times or Forbes that I find is useful for leaders, I've got it databased in there. No need to go tracking down a good credibility piece or the right article for your team or a client situation. I've done a lot of that work. Go over and utilize Dave's library. It's completely free, fully accessible. Just set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. Click on Dave's library. You'll be off and running to find anything that you need under the topic of leadership and lots of other things as well, too. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Scott Keller to the show. He is going to be showing us how the top leaders influence great teamwork. He works at McKinsey. They've done a ton of research and looking at top leaders and organizations and what they're doing around teamwork. He's going to be sharing their findings with us next week. Join us for that conversation. Have a great week and see you back on Monday.